G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Hey there, it's Timmy Manor and welcome to the Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 SEN. Joining me tonight, like he does every week, it's Benjamin George Little. Yes, Benjamin. thanks for having me, guys. Oh, just you, Tim. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, what, the Spirit of Sport, we play some uh, great songs and we speak to some awesome characters in the sporting world. That's right. And today, our guest, Benny, this is a great one. I'm actually really, really yes. excited. He's a bit of a journeyman in the NRL. Uh, he played a bit of Super League as well as that. 130 professional rugby league games across 14 years I was lucky enough to play alongside him for seven seasons, and I can say he was easily one of the best guys I've laced the boots up alongside. Tonight, our guest on the Spirit of Sport is none other than the good doctor, David Gower. Gower, thanks for joining us. Yes. Wow, what an intro. Wow. Thank you. Uh, No, thank you, mate. Thank you. And and talk to me. How are you doing? I know you are. We've got through COVID now. We're at the other end. Uh, how's David Gower going in retirement? Really good. Everyone asks, do you miss it? And my answer to that is always, I miss every other day off. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, miss yeah. a long, hot pre-season. I, I love the schedule that comes with being a professional footy player, but uh, I don't miss the the long, hot summer days and wrestling sessions that go for an hour plus. And uh, me not being the strongest forward going around, I used to get um, ragdolled a little bit <laughs> by yourself once or twice for memory. Mate, just on that topic though, do you, you say, do you miss it? Do you find people don't believe you? Cause I get asked that question a lot. And listen, there are th- some things I do miss, like um, the feeling after a win. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things here and there, but predominantly I'm, I'm always happy to think I'm done. I don't want to be a professional sports person any longer. Do you find people believe you or they think uh, you're, just, you're just saying that? No, I'm with you. I don't think they quite understand that by the time you do reach you know, your mid to late 30s that you've kind of had enough yeah, yeah, physically and mentally. But because they've never sort of been on the inside of it, I don't understand what it is like day to day. They think you're nuts. Surely you miss it. Exactly. Yeah, I know. That's the a reaction. And it, and it is. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved every minute of it. And like you said, you know, the pre-game nerves as well, knowing you, you're getting ready to sort of, um, you know, physically put your body on the line in, in front of your loved ones as well. You know, that's what I... I honestly miss the most playing in front of my kids. As I grew up and, and had kids, I think I really love playing in front of them. That's awesome. And speaking of uh, hitting your straps in your 30s, uh, Ben George Little over here, he's actually one of the Hills Hawks. Hills Hornets? Hornets. Hornets. Mate. Yeah, I'm a Hornet. Yeah, one of the greatest Hill Hornets players on the basketball court yeah. that Pla- Western Pla- Sydney has seen. Player of the year, 1998. I don't like to bring it up, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of box score was just that line on average. <laughs> yeah, well, I got a lot of crossovers and I shot a lot of layups. So I don't know yeah. what that says, but yeah. <laughs> I, I get, I'm, I'm got a good fadeaway jump. Has everything. <laughs> My fadeaway's gold. Yeah. No, you have a good fadeaway. I've got a great air ball. Yeah, Timmy's got a shock and fade. I'm looking at him right now. I'll tell you what, the best, yeah, the only fadeaway I've got is my, my hairline. <laughs> Fades all the I'm way. I'm right there with you, I mean, Timmy. We've got great fadeaways. Ben, ben, let me tell you about Dave Gower. And it's it's one of my, uh, he's, he's got a gr- lot of great attributes that I love, but one of the things I really enjoyed was his ability to keep young kids honest when it came to the hairline. Oh, yes. So, you know, a young kid, like a, let's say on there, Jaden Sa- uh, Jamin Salmon, yeah. uh, Reed Marnie, Seth Polo, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to bring yeah, that. Up. That's, yeah, well, that was an just obvious shave one. that, man. But that, you know, that's just that's 
that wasn't even David Gower's responsibility to bring that up. Dave took it upon himself <laughs> to look at those kids that were coming through. They could be 18, 19, <laughs> and he can spot trends. He's got a good eye for it. And it's amazing the paranoia in, in that can grow in kids uh, yes. when you bring up their hairline. All of a sudden, it, it, from the naked eye, it looks like a great head yeah, of hair. Yeah. But then Dave just brings up, hold on a second, I can see a bit of scalp there. Yeah. And then that's it for the next three, four, five years of their life. Yeah. Until they finally give in and shave their head, they're rattled. Mate, what's your, what's your process with identifying that kind of talent and um, coming up with yeah. those projections? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Look, look, it is a God-given talent. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with jealousy or hair envy at all, for obvious reasons. Um, but my favourite one is actually young Reed Marnie. Oh, yeah. I think he was... I don't even... I'm not sure if he got through his first day of pre-season. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was his first. Worst case, it was his second day. And I just looked at him. He had a bit of swagger. Very confident kid. Young, obviously. Um, you know, thinks highly of himself. And I said, oh, Jesus, mate. Are you happy with your hairline there? <laughs> I'd be nervous if I was you. I'm pretty sure he was 20 <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and I could just tell the way, just the reaction. If you, if you, I used to call it, if you rock out, if you rock out on me early, I've got you. I'm coming at you all day. Yeah, yeah. Use a footy analogy. And yeah, yeah. Mate, the young guys used to rock out all day and I'd, I'd get into Timmy's ear. I'd say, Timmy, we've got this kid. Let's get <laughs> and then, mate, we, we started the old full court press and we had, you know, we had guys, Corey Norman, concerned by the end. Oh, yeah. In his defense, his forehead was growing by the year. Yeah, yeah. And then we had um, one of my favorites is Manu Mo. Great head of hair. I was, I was about to bring him up. Yeah, <laughs> tell us the story, please. <laughs> so, Muns, we used to always go, geez, Muns, probably get out of that light, mate. It's looking a bit thin there. We're starting to see a bit of scalp. And he goes, nah, nah, you're not. You're kidding, you're joking. And then, mate, it would get to a point where all you'd have to do is look at him for three or four seconds longer than normal. And he'd rub his hair and he goes, yeah, I know, I'm going, I know. <laughs> I, I used to love that he's confide in you quietly. No one of everyone, he's come to you on the, yeah. on the low and say, yeah, I know, I'm struggling, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to struggle, it's starting to get on me. I said, look, yes, it is. Um, to be honest, yes, it, absolutely. There's people worse off than you. And then I'd point out, you know, a young Jamin Salmon at 21, I'd point out you know, all these other guys. <laughs> and it was, it was great. And me and Timmy used to joke the... Uh, Sort of the, the prey, the hunted became the hunter. <laughs> yeah, we because we did we get hunted, mate. I remember hind marshal on my case when I was about twenty one, um, <laughs> yeah. and just rattled me. Um, I I talk about the, you know the stresses of football, and, and yeah, we're talking about the physical side of it, but also the stress and the pressures that come with it. But one of the things that doesn't get spoken about a lot with when it comes to stresses of rugby league is the eagle cam. Now that's the biggest stress of my career. <laughs> <laughs> so Benny, the eagle cam is the the angle. So you, you probably notice on Channel Nine and Fox oh, yeah. when there's a there's a close cam, which is like the you know the action cam, yeah. and then every now and again they'll go to the eagle cam, which is up high yeah. above above the stadium, right? Yeah. And there's no there's no hiding in that camera. No. You know? If you've got a, a slice of devil on your head and yeah. you're thinning. You can't hide, especially on a, on, a, on a wet night. It's game over. And, <laughs> you know, it, it rains outside on a Friday night game. Instead of being excited about Friday night footy, I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on show for everyone to see uh, here today. Yeah, how, how hard was it? Yeah, you're spot on. Throw in a wet, cold night in winter. You look oh. out and there's a bit of precipitation as you leave your house. You go, should I grab the headgear just in case? Can <laughs> <laughs> not play with the hat tonight? Not for any other reason, any other reason than to, to protect the old Devon, the oh. old patch that's yeah. uh, it's clearly visible, but yeah, there was a few times that I got caught. If you notice the camera, you're packing a scrum, the camera's behind you. There's a moment in Darwin. Um, oh, what a moment. Time. 
I jumped up, I looked at the big screen, I thought, uh-oh, I know what's coming in. I just put the old hand straight on top of the old Devon and thought, you know what, I'm just going to do my best to cover this up. Like literally censored <laughs> uh, the camera, put his hand there above his, he said, no, you don't, not today. <laughs> Pack not the screen. Today. Not on my watch. <laughs> yeah. This is not going to happen. Uh, uh, now, Gary, I think I'd come off to about three messages from Brad Takarangi, who was back in Sydney, injured at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, you know what, well, we speak about, you know, uh, real estate on the forehead. Uh, Brad Takarangi, it's it's like a slow tie going out to see that forehead, isn't it? It's it's growing. <laughs> oh look, it's yeah, it's 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 retreating at a, at a rapid rate. But he just absolutely bullies everyone else into into submission, so everyone takes the pressure off himself. But yeah. he's in all sorts, to be honest. Bradley has uh, been for a long time. Oh mate, you and I, we can we can talk hairlines all day, but let's let's get into <laughs> into the spirit of sport. <laughs> and we just want to start. Let's let's take us on the journey, mate. We talk about you being a journeyman, but you. You started your involvement with footy a long time ago, and what made you uh, want to get involved? And when did you kind of have an idea that you know you could make a career out of it? Yeah, I was always naturally a little bit more slender. I wasn't as physically developed, I suppose. So I was always quite a good footy player. I was always handy. I loved it. And then um, you know, twenty twenty one, you play your jersey flag years. I had a great year, and then I got injured halfway through. And um, just from that, it was kind of okay, mate. Look, go and play reserve grade. Go and go and finish your apprenticeship. I was an electrician at the time. Where were you playing then? And then where, where was that? So I was a Balmain, Balmain oh, right Eastwood. Yep. Yeah, so I was a Tigers fan. Made debut for the Mighty Tigers uh, yes. oh, in cool. uh, 2009, I think, from memory, going back. Yeah. Um, so, mate, I went there and just sort of just battled away. I I was quite a good reserve grader, if I could toot my own horn a little bit. Yep. I won um, Player of the Year, I think, two years in a row. Oh, nice. Um, played for New South Wales at that residence level. And um, just for, for whatever reason, I think I just you know, got one game but never really got the opportunity to train full-time consistently. Yeah. And then an opportunity come up in twenty the end of 2010 at the Dragons. Wayne Bennett gave me a crack for the 2011 season. And just sort of from then, I physically was able to develop into a footballer's body. Yeah. You know, I, people ask, you know, what was it like a bit later? And always say so that first year, year one for me was learning physically what it took to be a first grader. Mm. Year two was understanding the week-to-week need and, and like what you have to do to be a professional. And then from my third year on, I kind of started playing a lot more consistently. I understood, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week and um, year-to-year what that would look like and how to be successful. Mm. Did you, um, how much did you develop under uh, Wayne Bennett? And was there anything that stood out to you that kind of helped as a coach? Because he gets so, such a big rap from so many people. Yeah, I mean, apart from him calling me Craig every now and then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, nah, it, was, it was more physically. So I was always like 93 kilos as a front rower in reserve grade, really, you know, way too light. It was the ability to then have, you know, that dietitian advice, that specialist advice on the daily. And then, you know, what really struck me was that Wayne would come up and have a chat and you genuinely care about his whole squad. Mm. as opposed to, you know, that 17 to 20 players that are going to contribute week to week to play. Mm. And that's what really caught me off guard. You know, I was a nobody. I would not struck a blow in rugby league, and he still cared enough to try to help me. And, um, you know, I really appreciated that. Yeah. Wait, what made you make the big move to go overseas so early, like at such a young age? To be honest, it was opportunity. Um, I had got a British passport. My dad's British. Yeah. And um, they'd come out and watch me, Salford it was at the time, come out and watch me play Jersey Flag against, I think it was Para actually, at Para Stadium, when we got lapped. I think we got dusted by 40, and they just said to my manager, look, mate, we might leave it 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> and then, anyway, they came back. I sent some stuff over 
from my first year in reserve grade and I played pretty well and they just said, all right, mate, let's do it. Here's an 18-month contract. You'll leave on Saturday. And that was on a Wednesday and that was kind of it. I'd signed the deal on the Wednesday night and I was on the plane maybe Sunday afternoon, I think. Yeah, wow. It's um, it's those challenging big like times in a career where you look back and it's it's a time where you really figured out, you know, who you, what you were made of and what you were anchored to. What was the biggest challenge of, of your professional career looking back on it and how did you how did you handle that? The biggest challenge for me was probably um, just having to get dropped every other week and then really fight my way back into a team. So, you know, I played a hundred and say I think it was hundred and twenty odd games of NRL. And then I probably, you know, had to fight my way back into the team no less than 20 or 30 times throughout that time as well. Wow. Uh, so it's just understanding that, you know, it wasn't going to be easy for me, but the hard work didn't scare me either. So I was always confident in my ability and given the opportunity, but I was also, I guess I had that self-awareness enough to know that I had to continue to work. I had to strive to be better every week. And if I slipped for a week or two, I didn't have the, the luxury of a couple of quiet games. I'd be tipped out pretty quickly. Yeah, and how, that was fine. You know, yeah. but how, how, just, how did you deal with that? It was, like, it was my journey. Like I know you. Um, you talk about you know when you had the opportunity, you did your job. You you always you never let anyone down on the field. You always played great footy. You always um, you know, was such a great asset to any team you played in. How how did that make you feel knowing that you know you probably would have played better than someone else because someone might have had a you know a bigger name or a better pay packet. You felt you know they probably had the lean like the chance to uh, have a few bad games compared to you who was um, you know kind of a bit more indispensable. What, are the, what does that feel like as an athlete like in that position? Yeah, look at times I'm not going to lie, it was frustrating because yeah. there was times where I didn't feel like I probably deserved to get yeah. dropped. But at the same time, I just it sort of go, went with the territory to me, you know, like I was understanding of it, and I kind of knew probably before I was told as well. I just I would just get a feeling that you know look I'm probably going to get tipped out of here. Yeah, and and that's fine because I, I would like to think that whenever I went back to play reserve grade, I always tried to, and I used to tell young guys, Andrew Davy comes to mind in particular. When you go back to reserve grade, you got to play like an NRL player. You got to stand out. You can't go back and drop your lid. Yeah, because if you play poorly there and you you're not happy about being there, it's going to show. The coaches are going to know, and you're not going to get back to where you want to be. Mm. So if at any time during my career, if I'd gone back and sulked and sulked and and not played well in reserve grade, my, my career would have been cut well short than yeah. it actually was, you know. And it's something I'm really proud of, to be honest, to be able to fight back from that, you know, those knockbacks all the time, um, to still come back and prove my worth, prove my ability, yeah. and prove my uh, yeah, worth to the team and, and my teammates. And, you know, I used to – I prided myself on you – know, I wasn't the best, I wasn't the quickest, I wasn't the strongest, I wasn't the most skillful, but I'd like to think that when I went on the field, I'd hope my teammates knew I was going to – going to do my part for the team and not really let anyone down. Yeah, and you always did that. Um, yeah, and I, I'd say it because I, I I never tasted reserve grade until my last season. And I look back at my career and I think, I, I wish I had that experience earlier because I realise now it's probably, I lacked a bit of empathy. Like, I, when, you know, if someone got dropped to reserve grade, I always go, oh, are you okay? I hope you, you know, hang in there, you'll be back. But never really understood what they were going through. Um, and then I went through it myself and I'm like, wow, if I knew this is what it actually felt like, I would have, you know, probably put, been more intentional in in the way I you know cared about players that were going through that journey because it's a it's a rough position to be in. Um, but you know, you, you you talk about how you were kind of in and out of it all the time. How, how did you find the support network? Did you have people in your corner that would um, make sure you're doing okay and, and getting through that time? 
Yeah, I mean, like you say that you maybe lack a bit of empathy, but like you know, guys like yourself, Goisy, Isaac Goise, you know, Dan, I had Danny Wicks, I had great guys around me at Parra that always used to check in, and mm. whether you you realise, but it was always still appreciated, you know. And but for me, my wife, obviously, she was yeah. really good for me the whole time. She's been with me since I was sixteen, so you know, we're twenty twenty odd years together now, ten years married. So she's copped an earful on occasion <laughs> just for my frustration. Yeah. And, and I'm sure for the first decade of our relationship, she was unsure what position I actually played on the field. <laughs> uh, well, but, um, by year by year fifteen, year twenty, I think she got it. But um, no, she was fantastic. I, there would be times where I'd be frustrated and and angry and annoyed, and she was the one that was always there to listen, whether she understood or not. Yeah, she was a great support for me, and, and I'm very very grateful of that. Well, you, you talk about your relationship, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because some of my all time favorite photos in the world, Ben. Let me tell you these. Oh, I wonder if I can get a few photos. <laughs> I want to get them up here. So you got had a traditional um Erica, she's Indonesian, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Okay, so um Erica Australian born Indonesian, first generation, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> Erica and David had it had themselves a, a wedding, a traditional <laughs> have a look at this photo. So this is yeah, David Gower in oh, traditional all the cultural get up, yeah. And he just looks so natural in it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's he made look, for it. it looks like he's made for it. It's <laughs> and for listeners at home, we're talking Bright red blazer with gold medallions, gold stitching everywhere, a, a red top hat, um, very traditional, very, you know, Erica, there's a lot of gold, Erica there's actually, gold everywhere. Erica pulls it off amazing. Like, you look yeah. at Erica's kit and, and yeah. she looks awesome. Gowie looks that like, he, 10 kilos, Gowie looks like a, uh, a flathead that's been left out of water for, for about 30 <laughs> seconds and he's just kicking around. Um, now, how'd you guys meet? Well, just on that photo, Timmy, before we move, I know yeah. the listeners can't hear it, but just for your own. Uh, I think I look a little bit stunned there and a little bit unsure because I'm actually on the right-hand side of the camera. Traditionally, I only have one so it was just, it comes back to the hair, if I can just bring it back to there. Yeah. I had a little flick left, so my good side, I'd call it, was the left side of my face. So I'm a little bit caught off. My angles aren't right from that angle, but... Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, one day we're going to have to have, get some listeners to phone in and, and ask them, do they have a favourite side? Bean, do you have a favourite side? Do you have it? No. You don't? You're good both sides. Yeah, both are a struggle, to be honest, but yeah. See, yeah. I, oh, I don't have hair now, but when I did have hair, I knew I knew there was, if I look this way, so left-facing camera oh, was my yeah. strong side. Yeah. This one, Absolutely. this one, my hairline wasn't as strong. Yeah. And and most men that are going through what me and Gowie <laughs> traumatically went through. You know your angles. You know your side. Uh, <laughs> You've got to know your angles. No one's going to protect you but yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, And you and Johnny Drama are two people that were very vocal about that. Um, Johnny Drama is one that comes to mind immediately. Yeah. So you're talking about you guys have been together since, since you were 16. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, yep. yep. Um, how did it's you guys nice get... a little story, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we met on the bus, the school bus. It's a yes. high school romance, yeah. So she went to sort of an all-girls school that was a little bit further up from my high school, which was all boys. And um, let's just say she saw the potential in in the young kid with the receding hairline at the time. So I'm hey, I've seen photos of you at 16. You had a strong head of hair, mate. Yeah, look, I did. It was probably stronger than guys like Reed Marnie at 22. But yeah, exactly. Yes, I've let him know it on occasion as well. But um, <laughs> no, so I, I tell my wife um, that she definitely saw the potential. And I think I've aged like a fine wine. I think I got better with age and... Luckily for my wife, she hasn't aged a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is which is nice for yeah. her. Not so good for me. I look older. Well played. <laughs> and so you've let's just your career again. So you played a game you were in the on the bench in the grand final in two thousand and thirteen, was it? 
with Manly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What was that experience like, obviously being up, so up and close to it and, and feeling the whole week? Yeah, it was really cool. It was kind of Richie Fioso, unfortunately, had broken his neck against South in the prelim. So I'd been 18th man all throughout the final series. So I was relatively confident, but you can never be, um, you know, super confident that you'll get the gig. And, you know, went on Tuesday when um, Twos and BA told me that I was playing, I was pretty excited, mate. And I could really, you know, embrace the week. And, you know, I was just really, really happy to be there, really excited, was hoping to play a bigger part than I did. But, um, you know, better players than me never played a, a grand final. And, yeah. you know, I was really grateful for the opportunity. And I remember running out for, um, obviously, to run out, start the game before the national anthem. I just started laughing. It was, the crowd was a sellout. It was like 35 degrees. It was boiling hot, but it was just unbelievable. Twilight grand final. Awesome. And it was just, yeah, the crowd was huge. The roar was incredible. And it was, mate, honestly, I just chuckled to myself, what how good is this? That's, that's unreal, man. That's what an experience. And unfortunately, we were up by 10 points with about 15, 20 to go, and we got run down. So I remember sitting on the bench and thought, wow, I'm going to get a GF here. Wow, how good is this? Yeah. That, uh, and how do you, like, so if you oh, would have won that game, is how, how do you celebrate that? Do you, are you still pumped even though you don't get on the field? I think I would be. Yeah, like, if, like, I, I thought so. I got on for five minutes, the last five. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, I would have been pretty excited. Yeah, like I think, like you've deserved it. Like you play a big part all season. Um, you know, would I have been there if Fuss didn't get hurt? Probably not. But at the same time, you know, Richard said anyway. He goes, mate, enjoy it. Like I won one last year. He won the year before with Melbourne. Yeah. So he was really supportive. Well, it's like Paul Osborne. His his story. You know, he was. Have you heard his story about the '94 Grand Final? No, I haven't, no. Yeah, well, he was never part of the team and gets a last-minute call-up and goes on the field, sets up two tries, oh, yeah. like gets, like just kills it. And he's like, he, was, he wasn't part of the team most of the year. And that was his yeah, wow. his, uh, his big moment. Yeah, wow. Um, Gowie, I have had the pleasure of playing with uh, well, well over 100 players at the club. Uh, you'd obviously stand out and, you know, you obviously think, you know how high I think of you as a person, but... Um, you've always had a bit, um, a bit more intellect than, than the majority of the players. And you've always looked at the game, looked at life very differently. Um, can you give our listeners a bit at home, a bit of an idea of what you're doing with yourself now, post football, um, and what you're, you know, what you're working on these days? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I don't know if it was because of the fact that I was always on the edge of uh, not getting a contract <laughs> or, or whatever it was, but I was always acutely aware that. You know, for me, there was more to life than being an electrician once once the, you know, the lights turned off on footy. So I was always actively trying to think, you know, five years ahead. I yeah. always just had, I call it a five-year plan. You know, what do I need to do to be where I want to be? And for me, that was to get a, a, you know, a degree in sports business. Because I thought, you know what, I love footy. If I can stay involved in the game post uh, my career, my playing career, that'll be a bonus. And I was lucky enough to finish my degree in 2019, the end of 2019, and I played one more year and I'd already been starting to transition into the wellbeing and education um, sort of space. So lucky for me, the club allowed me that sort of soft transition out with a few years leading up to it. And then I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to work full time in wellbeing and education last year or, you know, this season, just gone. And then, you know, just recently I've been promoted to the wellbeing education manager at the club as well. So, you know, I'm really grateful for for the Eels and, and what they've done for me and, you know, they've helped me along the way. and But, yeah, you just got to, you know, we encourage our young players to think ahead now. Football is fantastic while it's fantastic, but it can, can all be taken from you pretty quickly too. So, 
you know, we need our we need our young guys to to yeah, actively participate in education or understanding that you know your career is only for a finite amount of time. Yeah, what are you finding is the most fulfilling part of this well-being role? Yeah, so I really like um, you know making sure or getting guys. So I'll just use an example from this year. So Makiasi Makatoa, who's just actually come on back into the year and played a bit of first grade. Mm. I'd done a bit of work with him last year and, um, you know, he said to me he wanted to be a carpenter. He didn't want to be a labourer anymore. Like he was doing scaffolding and all these just construction labourers and he was sort of 26, 27, I think at the time. And then, you know, this year I was able to get him an apprenticeship, a mature age apprenticeship. And um, while he was also training full time. So, you know, to hopefully give guys, not only like Makatoa, the opportunity to, you know, do something meaningful with their time. So yeah. when they leave our club or, or the game, they leave as better people. But, yeah. you know, things like that really help, you know, trying to guide, you know, young guys. I mean, my journey's unique. I've, I've done, I've really done it the hard way and I've had to, you know, scrap, fight and crawl and, you know, do everything I can to, to maintain my career. And, you know, chances are I've been through what they're going through and, and I'd like to think that I've I've got that knowledge to help and, and hopefully, you know, make that, sort of those issues or whatever they are a bit smoother for them yeah you come across with a really um re- resilient attitude and um through some of your your stories there it really um really shows where did this resilience develop and come from with, with you yeah i don't know i think you know resilience is a learned skill it's not something you just can be so it's you know it comes from being dropped forty-eight thousand times in my career <laughs> and having to fight my way back yeah you know it comes from not making rep sides as a young, or not making like Aussie schoolboys and things like that, having to really fight and scrap. Yeah. Um, yeah, it comes from having to do things the hard way. And, yeah. um, you know, that's how resilience is built. You can't be resilient unless you go through stressful life, life events. I think yeah, that's, that's just, that's, there's evidence behind that. And it's just, it's just fact. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, we want more resilient kids, but, you know, I, I'm a father myself. I've got three young daughters. They don't suffer many losses. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, yeah. So we need our kids to understand that you know, the world isn't peachy and rosy and you're not going to get everything handed to you on a plate. And the more we do that for our kids and our young men and women, the, the harder resilience is going to be because, you know, when they get smacked in the face by the real world the first time, if, if it hasn't happened before, it's yeah. going to it's gonna hurt and it's going to take them a bit to come back and it's going to rock their confidence, their self-esteem, all these sorts of things. Yeah. yeah you, you talk about um, how it's easy for you to study when you're playing because, you know, you always have to have a backup because you're always fighting for your spot. How do you find working now with kids or, or younger guys that that don't have to work with their spot, that you, you know, they haven't been slapped in the face yet by the world and uh, everything has been handed on a silver platter? How do you connect with them? Because I know like from experience, a lot of those guys, they don't really see the need for any education or any um, you know, furthering of their career because they think they're, you know, they're invincible at the time. What, what's your method of getting through to those guys? Yeah, I think it's a slowly, slowly approach. You know, I think it's hard to tell a 22-year-old at the top of his game he's earning hundreds of thousands of dollars that he needs to to think about when he's 32. You know, and I get that. So it's not, hey, mate, we need to do a degree. It's, hey, let's start. Let's start easy. Let's just do something to get your confidence up with your study. Let's let's sort of break it down. Where do you want to go? What would you like to do? And let's just slowly, slowly step towards that mm. that direction. Yeah. Because you're you're a few bad years away from being in the workforce. So it's just, you know, grabbing them, trying to, you know, show them that. They need to think outside of footy as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just it's a slow and steady approach with some of them. And you can't force them. So, you know, self-determination is big. They need to make – it needs to be their decision. Yeah. Because if, if you force them down a path, 
they're not really going to commit to it. You know, you value it more if you make that active decision yourself. Yeah. So it's just trying to offer advice, lead them down a direction and say, hey, look, this is what we can do. This will get you here. What do you think? Yeah. Mate, like they need to think it's a good idea or you're going to get nowhere. Well, it's, yeah. Well, it's so good that the club and then obviously the NRL is investing in this space though because it, it's, you know, a lot of these kids, they're, they've, they're at the top of the world. They've got great money. They're, it's a really good lifestyle, a lot of attention. Um, and, you know, as good as all that is, it can, a lot of times can be really damaging. And, you know, obviously we've heard all the stories um, of all the, you know, the superstars that haven't handled it as well as they would have liked. Um, you know, even just, just as recent as the last couple of days, you know, there's a story over in the NFL, a Las Vegas Raiders player. So Henry Ruggs III, Benny, he's 3.39 in the morning. He's driving his car, doing 250 kilometers an hour, blowing a DUI at 1.63, I believe it was, and smashes into the back of a RAV4. That explodes, kills the, the, the lady driving that car. Oh and uh, the first thing that goes to my head is for, for someone to be at that level, there's a huge amount of ego involved. It's at a, you're at a stage in life where you, to be driving that fast with that much alcohol in your system, it is a pure, I am above the law, I'm above the rules kind of thing. Uh, Gary, what's it like trying to mentor these kids, not only in terms of education, but also understanding, um, you know, giving them a taste of what reality is like, understanding that, yes, you're doing great and things might feel awesome, but you still, at the end of the day, you know, you still got, there's still rules and still things you've got to do to fit into our club and our culture. Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's difficult is is the answer. Um, you know, young guys, the NRL do a great job in educating. We give our guys get educated on, you know, these sorts of things. Um, we, uh, yearly, sorry, every single year there's mandatory education workshops. We do. We roll them out year on year. They change and, you know, they're slightly different every year. But I think there's just an, like a... It's an optimism bias. Like kids think that, or athletes in particular think that it won't happen to me. I'm yeah. sweet. It's not going to be me until it is. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's learnt through experience. Yeah. Um, and other times it's unluck, unlucky. I mean, I don't know. But it's just, yeah, we just got to try to get those guys to understand that all it takes is one bad decision and yeah. your life can be forever changed. Yeah. So you just need to. They're role models, whether they want to admit it or not, whether they like it or not. It's what happens. If you get paid significant amounts of money yeah. and you're on television and people are talking about you, yeah. with that paycheck comes responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And you need to understand that. And if you don't understand that or you don't want that, mm. choose another career. Yeah. It's just that simple. That's, yeah, well said. Um, mate, I can harp on about your intelligence a long time, but... And I know you're not going to do this, but I, I think it's important that we do bring it up. Um, where Where's DG in five years? Because, you know, I talk about uh, the number of players I played with. I, I didn't have one person in my whole career that has the ability that you have to succeed in the world outside of footy in terms of the corporate world and um, having a, a knack for business, understanding the sporting world, um, your education, obviously. But what does your future look like? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky that I've been um, promoted into this management role right now, sort of 12 months into my transition, so I'm really grateful for that. But sort of my five-year plan is to, to hopefully you know, learn as much as I can, obviously, um, continue to you know, just be a bit of a sponge and learn from the people we've got around the place. But I'd like to be a general manager of 41 day. I think that's kind of where I'd like to get to. Yeah. Oh, you'd be so good at that role. You'd be awesome. Because you obviously understand 
people and players and what's needed from a football side of things, but you're also great with business and it's just such a perfect fit for the, what you do and, and how you operate. Um, what's, what else, like what other steps are there in, like what, what do you need to learn to be able to do a role like that? Is there anything that you feel like you're sure or you need to learn more about? Yeah, I think it's just yeah, a little bit like it's just actually, you know, so this year I'll be able to lead my own team. I've got a few a few people under me now, which is going to be great to work with them and just learn what my leadership style is. I think I know what I want it to be, but yeah. it's just going to be developing that in real time and, and while you're actually doing it for real. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some stuff around, you know, just the actual day-to-day sort of finances, budgets, all that sort of stuff that I have theoretical experience, but I don't have practical experience in managing and operating budgets. Yeah, you know things like that, and then it's just learning process, strategy, all that sort of stuff as well. Just fine tuning, you know, the theory I got with my degree, but actually putting that into practice and learning, sort of on the job from you know guys like, you know, the, the people in our club, you know, from from Jim, Sean, Mark, all those sorts yeah. of guys. Like I, you know, you look at that that role at different clubs, and um, you know, while there's some you know, good head of footballs, the the new era of rugby league that you would have came through is a lot more professional than. Um, you know, guys that would have played in the past and you would have experienced as a player what modern football feels like, what professional football feels like as a player. And then on top of that, you throw in your education and it just gives you a bit more of an understanding of the modern game and the modern uh, professionalism of sport. I think I think gives you an advantage. I always keep saying it over and over again, yourself and Christian Welch, whichever club is lucky enough to have you guys involved in that role, I think they're going to uh, really get some massive benefits from that. Now, Gowie, the white rhino, two of the white, three of the white rhinos. You, you, him, and me, mate. Um, Now we're at the stage of the show that is an absolute hit. Mm. It, it, it gets trending on Twitter. It gets people talking. It gets what the people want. People tune in to eleven seventy at approximately nine (laughs) forty-five p.m. on a Sunday to listen to this part, and it is the sixty-second blitz. With Blitz. All right, Gowie, I'm just going to shoot questions at you for 60 seconds, and you need to answer the first the first answer that comes into your mind. Are you cool with that? Yeah, all right. There's a bit of pressure here, but yeah. I'll let the listeners down and fire away. I'm looking <laughs> yeah. forward to the Blitz. Now, okay, um, favorite food. Let's start off easy. Favorite food, sushi. Favorite uh, meal your wife makes for you? Oh, new question. New question. Favorite meal my wife makes for me? Chicken schnitzel at the moment. She makes a mean schnitzel. Mm, wow. What's the best investment you've ever made? Best investment? Probably yeah, in myself, I think. Yeah. It's important to invest in yourself. Yeah. Good well-being answer. Yeah, good. I'd invest into you. I'm just saying. <laughs> to him? <laughs> yeah. Not you? No, I'd invest into him. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right, each of their own. <laughs> the big shots pay off the best. Yeah. yeah. The long shots pay off the best. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what's the worst investment you've ever made? Honda Civic? Biggest growth area as a father? Biggest growth area? Oh, as a father, that's not a quick answer. Um, it's a bit deep, I isn't think it? it's just, Very deep. just making sure. I was lucky as a footy player that I was around a lot, but it's you know making sure that I'm always around and available and, and engaged and present in the moment. Beautiful. Can I just, can I just butt in here? Yeah. You, sh- you should see Gary with his kids. I mean, it's my segment. Oh. You've been going for 30 minutes, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but just, just one second. The, the day of a gower, mate, this guy, when it comes to fatherhood, this guy, he has nailed it. He's good. Like, oh, mate. And Present. 
nurturing. Oh, Perez, even on trip away, he'd always be checking in, like just and it was like for me, it was a good reminder too that I'd be like in oh. Brisbane, we're playing in Brisbane, yeah, and yeah, maybe I got a bit too Caught involved in, involved in my in my own little world where yeah. I uh, forgot to check in on the family, and then I see Gowie and just consistently doing. What a good father should do. I remember thinking, okay, yeah, better call my parents, uh, my kids. So good. Um, is that something you always did um, naturally, Gowie, or is that you got that for your dad, or what, what do you reckon's going on there? Yeah, I don't know. I just think uh, you just learn from you know what you see and, and what you do, and mm. you know I think it's important to you know I had a great relationship with my kids just from being around all the time. That yeah. you know I genuinely missed them and I wanted to see how they were. Yeah. Now, if you could meet anyone, uh, who would you meet and why? Oof. Who could I meet and why? Mm. Always been a big Will Smith fan. Oh yeah, I love Ooh. Wilbur. Will yeah. Smith, the uh, obviously the actor I played with, <laughs> the old Will Smith for a long time. He's a good fella too. Yep. Yeah, probably probably Will Smith. Yep. Now, um, any habits that you, you you just can't break, and you, you know your teammates didn't like it, your wife's sick of it. What's a habit we wouldn't know that you have? Some people say I'm a bit obsessive about spraying other people's hairs. That's fine. <laughs> That's That's fine. I'm, 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 I'm fine with that habit, mate. I'm happy for you to keep doing it. Um, maybe I'm a bit of a... I can be a coffee critic at times. Tim knows about that. Sugar in your coffee is outrageous. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, Gary took me on a journey as a young kid. He, uh, he helped me understand what a good coffee is, what it should be. For example, you're not going to go and find Gary drinking a large latte. No. For example. You know, it's, no. it's a piccolo latte. He, he likes yeah. it. He likes to put the emphasis on the coffee. And if you put sugar into your coffee in front of him, he may well walk away from the table and not talk to you. He may hurt you. Good coffee doesn't need sugar. Is that right, David? Good coffee doesn't. Let me ask you this. If you could, if you go out and buy a beautiful ribeye, a beautiful bit of eye fillet, beautifully marinated, salt, pepper, olive oil, cooked to a perfect medium, medium rare, are you going to throw tomato sauce on it? No way. No way. No, you, uh, you, mate, you, you won me over. Spot on. Actually, he's an what ugly... are you going to do? Why are you putting sugar in coffee? That's my thing. Yeah, and you're, you're same, always... same principles apply. Your, your intelligence goes knows no bounds. I want to ask Benny a little this. Okay, how many coffees have you had? You wake up in the morning, you have yourself a, a double shot piccolo. Yeah. You go to the cafe next next cafe about two hours later. You've had yourself another coffee, a cappuccino, and then you go somewhere else later and you've had yourself, let's say, a latte. Yeah. How many coffees have you had for that day? Three. See, that's that's that's, that's where the argument is. Right. Dave Gower successfully proved to me that you've had four. The double shot counts as two. Yeah. Is that right, yeah. David? Absolutely, it does. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. deep no stuff. Question. Here. Do you want Do you want to explain the uh, Yeah, the, way, the thinking, the rationale behind that? It was It was an argument that went on between a few of us for quite a few weeks, and then one day he just had this epiphany. He just He just grabbed my piccolo, and he grabbed Isaac de Goy's piccolo. And he put them both in one glass. How many Poured them into a big glass and said, how many coffees are in here? I said, two. He goes, thank you. Done. Game, set, match. Mate, <laughs> wait, what is the best date you've ever been on? Tell us about it. The best, good nice segue. Um, the best date I've ever been on was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was, uh, it was me, Timmy Manor, I was at the voice, went out for coffee. Uh, <laughs> the, the most romantic thing I've ever done is, it was just our proposal. I surprised my wife with a, a beautiful um, Four Seasons room at, uh, down there at, um, in the city. And I just sort of teed it up perfectly. And it was, you know, that was just really romantic for me. We went out for dinner and the room was set up perfectly. And it was a beautiful view over the harbour. Fantastic. That's oh. 
That's perfect. And right now, my ideal date is just me and my wife, no kids. Yeah, <laughs> anywhere, anything, anywhere, yeah. no kids. I'm with you. Beautiful. You know what? It's it. I'm on Bali. If, if I'm being honest, I'm probably at a nice little sunset club there in Bali, just sitting down having a couple of cocktails. Yeah. My in-laws are looking after the kids back at the hotel. Me and the wife oh. are just kicking back, watching the sun go down. Oh, that's, that's outstanding. Let's go there now, right now, Benny. Yeah, you know I, what? It's actually a good time to go because unfortunately we're out of time. Oh, right. David, <laughs> thank you. I mean, I had some more questions. <laughs> no, I have more questions. Yeah, I've got like five. Mate, you had 60 seconds. <laughs> you do this every week. With 60 14 seconds. minutes. Yeah, it goes for 14 minutes. <laughs> now, David. For what a 14 minutes. Firstly, thank you so much for joining our show. Secondly, I don't want to keep I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to keep harping on about it, but I genuinely can say hand on heart, you are the one player throughout my career that I can look back on and, and say you stood out in terms of intelligence, but also integrity, the person you are, the, the amount that you um, try to assist people naturally um, throughout your career just ties in so well to what you're doing now. Uh, and I've got no doubt that we're going to see you doing some really big things in our game moving forward. So it's a bit of a watchy space for the listeners and um, Dave, we're so grateful that you joined our show today. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.